Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show. Welcome to the show. It's me, Rich Zioli, back with you today for another great show. And thanks for being here today. We appreciate it. We were loaded up with some great guests this afternoon. Great guests, including Peter Ducey from the White House, too. So we're going to go. We're all over the place today. And I'm telling you, you are going to get so much out of today's show. So you want to make sure you're with us the entire time. Student loan debt continues to be the big story of the day today, without question. It is still the one thing that everybody is talking about, and for good reason, too. It turns out that we're learning a whole lot more about this than we even knew yesterday. And based on your calls yesterday, I know you're probably as fired up about this as I am, and most rational people are. We're looking at a price tag of this of about, oh, $500 billion. Yesterday, we were thinking it was going to be $300 billion, but no, $500 billion. That said, though, Corrine Jean-Pierre, well, she doesn't believe this is actually going to you know, cause any more inflation. She doesn't believe this is going to add to the deficit. She doesn't believe these things. I don't believe in unicorns either, but I do know one thing. I do believe this is absolutely going to increase the deficit. But Corrine Jean-Pierre does not believe that. Let's take a listen. Do you all believe that this, this student loan program is fully paid for? And if it's not... Why does the president think it was important to have all of his other spending priorities fully paid for to be fiscally responsible, but not this one? So we do, uh, we, so this, again, this is the question that um, uh, my colleague here, uh, Ambassador, got. So it, we have to get a better sense, right, of what we're talking about as far as cost. Wait, let me just, let me just say that out loud. She is the she is the domestic policy advisor, and when she was asked that question, so I just want to iterate what she said. Uh, but we do believe it will be fully paid for because of the because of the work that this president has done with the economy. Yeah, I mean, look, we don't believe that it's going to increase the deficit. Yeah, I don't I don't believe chocolate makes you fat either. That's what I tell myself every day. I don't believe pizza has carbs in it. I tell myself that, too. And then, like last night when I was having two slices of pizza at Penn Station last night after the great recommendation Christine gave me, I just told myself that, and I felt a whole lot better. I also don't believe wine makes you drunk, which is why I bought a bottle of wine for the train. Look, you can believe whatever you want, but the truth of the matter is this is absolutely going to increase the deficit and inflation. How do I know that? Because Lawrence Summers, that's right, Obama's Lawrence Summers said so. He said this is going to have huge implications for inflation, and yes, of course it's going to add to the deficit. No doubt about it. But this administration, though, continues to lie and they continue to exaggerate their ability to do this. I don't even know if this is going to hold up in court, to be honest with you, because you know that there's going to be a lawsuit challenging this. And for good reason, because they are out of their minds thinking that this is legal and constitutional. If you're wondering, like I am, where they think they're getting the power to do this, you have to go back to 9-11 
And then after 9-11, we created a law that said under extraordinary circumstances, like for things like war, uh, the president has the ability to cancel certain debts. So they're using that justification. Wait for it. Because COVID to say they have the authority to cancel all this money. Now, that's funny because recently the administration said COVID was over, and that's why they ended Title 42, which, of course, was the ability for them to kick the migrants out at the southern border because COVID. So just a few months ago, they said, yeah, no, listen, COVID's over, so people can stay. Come on in. Come on into the United States of America and hang out. You're good. The COVID emergency is over. Three months later, they go, well, we're going to cancel billions of dollars in student loan debt because COVID, because of the emergency powers that we have because of COVID. Yeah, no, they're all over the place on this. And so I was asked today something, you know, do I think that this would hold up constitutionally in court? I don't actually, given the makeup of this United States Supreme Court, because they have long been looking into checking the power of the executive. And recently the Supreme Court struck down the EPA because they said the EPA's spending is absolutely not okay because it was not authorized by Congress. So I have a feeling that if this does get to the United States Supreme Court, and it probably will, that at least with a 5-4 majority, the Supreme Court's going to say, yeah, the Department of Education does not have the authority to do this. The president does not have the authority to do this. This is the largest spending by a president in American history with an executive order. And, 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 and nobody thinks this is okay. So I think it could get struck down by the courts. But what's also very telling here is what some Democrats who are under competitive races, what they're saying right now in these competitive seats. I'll give you a great example. Tim Ryan, Democrat in Ohio, he came out and he said, this is unfair. It's unfair to Ohioans, millions of Ohioans who actually work for a living, didn't go to college and or have already paid their student loans. And he's exactly right. And that's really what people are saying today. It's a fairness thing. And there is no fairness with this whatsoever. We'll talk to Congresswoman Nancy Mace about this, by the way, at 335 today. And I'm excited for that. Excited to have that conversation with her. But considering that you've got these moderate Democrats who are out there, and I don't I mean they're not moderates. I shouldn't say that. Their their districts are more moderate. Their districts are more moderate. And so that's why they're in these tough fights. And they're coming out and going, Yeah, you know what? This isn't cool. This isn't cool. And we should go through the legislative process and we should absolutely do this the right way. We, we can't we can't just uh, turn around and just do this with a stroke of a pen. You know who else said that? Joe Biden. Joe Biden at one point also said he did not have the authority to do this, with just a stroke of a pen that Congress would have to do it. Nancy Pelosi said that as well. I played you that audio yesterday, but it's worth playing again today just to remind you that only Congress can do this. Cut number two. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. I, I, I don't even like to call it forgiveness because that Im- implies a transgression. It's not to be forgiven. Get, get just freeing people from those obligations. So that's not even a discussion. They, not everybody realizes that. But the president can only postpone, delay, but not forgive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. She said it, and that's one of the rare times that I actually agree with Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. She's been around a very long time. I think she knows. Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked yesterday who, by Peter Ducey, and we'll talk to Peter Ducey later in the show. Like I mentioned, who's going to pay for this? Who is paying for this? Is it is it me? Is it you? Who, how are we doing this? Who, who's doing this? Cut number 18. Who 
is paying for this? What we are saying is the, the work that this administration has done, the work that the Democrats in Congress has done, is actually there. And you see that the $1.7 trillion uh, deficit, in deficit uh, deduction that you see is, is going to benefit us in being able to do something for the middle class, to do something just, for the middle class. But when you this is about doing something for people who make less than $125,000. $1.7 trillion. That's what we've been able to do. But when you forgive debt, you're not just disappearing debt. So but, who is paying for but, this? And then I'll give you the second part. We lifted the pause, right? We're going to lift the pause uh, at the end of this year, which is going to matter, right? Which is going to offset uh, a lot of what, what we're doing as well. Does that make sense to you? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. And who's going to benefit from this the most? Wealthy liberals are going to benefit from this. Oh, absolutely. National Review had a really good point on this, too, that this is a wealth transfer from taxpayers to the Democratic Party's Twitter base. Their Twitter classes, they're called, all the blue check marks. That's exactly right. In fact, looking at this, it's mostly going to benefit whites under the age of 40 who have graduate degrees and live in high income majority white neighborhoods. One of the most Democratic-leaning and outspoken progressive demographics in the country. Yesterday, I told you that Washington, D.C., the Washington, D.C. area is going to benefit from this the most. There's a reason for that. You have a lot of white liberals who live there with graduate degrees or working on their graduate degrees, their master's degrees, law school, Georgetown Law, for example, GW Law. And they are accumulating student debt. They can absolutely pay these loans by themselves at some point because they're going to stand to make potentially over the course of their lifetime millions of dollars. But this is a gift to them. That's right. It's a gift to them. It's a wealth transfer is what it is. And if you paid your student loans back like I did, like Dan did, we talked about this yesterday on the show with him, then you are a chump. If you just finished paying your student loans like Christine did, you're a chump because the reality is that you just waited, the government would have just, you know, put that line right through it and just absolved you of it. But you don't just write it off, and that's Peter Ducey's point. Somebody's paying for this. Somebody somewhere. So the point that I was making earlier about does Biden have the authority to do this? Absolutely not. No way does he have the authority to do this. And if you think about it, too, these moderate Democrats, and I say moderate with air quotes, coming out and being against the loan forgiveness shows you just how angry people are today. Representative Jared Golden of Maine called the order out of touch with what the majority of the American people want from this White House, which is leadership to address the most immediate challenges the country's facing. Uh-huh. Representative Tim Ryan, who's running for Senate in Ohio, as I mentioned, he said, well, there's no doubt that a college education should be about opening opportunities. Waiving debt for those already on a trajectory to financial security sends the wrong message to the millions of Ohioans without a degree working just as hard to make ends meet. Senator Michael Bennett, who's running for re-election in Colorado, said the administration should have further targeted the relief and proposed a way to pay for the plan. He said, while immediate relief... To families is important. One-time debt cancellation does not solve the underlying problem. Hey, listen, pal, I got news for you. This is not going to be a one-time thing. This is not going to be a one-time thing. They're going to keep doing this over and over and over again because they believe this is the right thing to do because people like Elizabeth Warren do not believe you should have to pay for college. She, I mean, she's a professor. That's how she made her living. She doesn't believe anybody should have to pay for college. They all think it should be free. 
No doubt about it. And Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked the question, and will this raise college tuition? Now, you and I both know it will. And why wouldn't it? Because the government, again, is infusing money into the marketplace, creating a fake marketplace. But Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about this yesterday in the usual dodging and lying, uh, cut number 12. We have to see this is something that uh, the Department of Education is going to uh, look into, uh, in, in particular with, uh, with uh, when you talk about colleges potentially raising uh, pri prices. That's something that the Department of Education is looking at and is going to crack down on. But it seems like it's something you're preparing for, right? Well, I mean, look, this is, again, this is something that the Department of Education is aware of. This is something that we're monitoring. Uh, but it doesn't take away from what this means, from what, we, what the president announced today. Yeah, right. Of course it's going to raise tuition. You know it and I know it. Uh, we'll talk to Nancy Mace about this. By the way, we're awaiting the judge's decision on unsealing the affidavit that led to the raid on Mar Largo. The affidavit which led to the, to the search warrant, which led to the raid. So that could happen during the show today. We're going to talk to Andy McCarthy about that a little bit later in the show. So we are loaded up today and great to have you with us here on The Guy Benson Show. It's Rich Zioli from Philadelphia. Such an honor to be with you this afternoon. Don't go away. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. But I believe my plan is responsible and fair. It focuses the benefit on middle class and working families. It helps both current and future borrowers and will fix a badly broken system. These actions build on my administration's effort to make college more affordable in the first place. Let's be clear. I hear it all the time. How do we pay for it? We pay for it by what we've done. Last year, we cut the deficit by more than $350 billion. This year, we're on track to cut it by more than $1.7 trillion by the end of this fiscal year. The point is this. There is plenty of deficit reduction to pay for the programs, cumulative deficit reduction to pay for the programs many times over. Yeah, there's plenty of times. That's the president yesterday still not giving a straight answer um, on how this is going to be paid for. So there's a reason why these Democrats who are absolutely nervous about the effect of this on the on their election are coming out and saying this is not fair. Let's not do this. I should mention as well, you know, we're waiting to see what the judge is going to rule in the affidavit with the search of Mar-a-Lago. And I'm excited uh, that this may come out during the show today. And I'm excited that Andy McCarthy is going to be here to break it down from a legal perspective a little bit later. I'm also going to ask Andy about the legal perspectives regarding the way the administration came up with their, quote unquote, authority to do this. And, you know, using COVID as the excuse and then using 9-11 as the power to justify doing this, I mean – Think about that. Think about that for a moment, if you could. After 9-11, we say the president has great authority to be able to cancel debt as a result of war or other national emergencies. Did anybody think it would mean a pandemic two and a half years later when everybody's moved on with their lives? No, nobody in their right mind thinks that's OK. And here's another question I have. How is anybody hurt by the pandemic when it comes to student loans? You haven't had to pay them for two years. For two and a half years, you have not had to pay your student loans. 
And the president just gave you another extension till the end of the year before you have to start paying your student loans. Now, you could have been like producer Dan and decided to do them yourself, but a lot of people didn't do that. So then I got asked a question. How was anybody who had student loan debt hurt by COVID? Now things are so good again. The administration said, let's end Title 42. Let's end migrant deportations because of COVID because the emergency is over. So in the same vein, we're supposed to believe the emergency is over. So now everybody has to stay who comes to this country illegally. But at the same time, though, the emergency is back. So now we're going to wipe out student loan debt you haven't had to pay for two and a half years. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So if I tell you, you owe me money, but I'm going to give you a waiver, waiver after waiver, waiver after waiver. During the time when you maybe weren't working because of the economy, because of COVID, whatever. Now, everything's back to normal. Life is living normal so much so that in one breath, I turn around and go, you know what? It's so normal. I'm ending this emergency over here to my right. And then I turn around and go, but I decided the emergency's back for the purposes of this here on my left. You would say that that's a bunch of BS. You'd say you're picking and choosing. You can't have it both ways. Are we in a national emergency because COVID or not? Because if we are, then I want Title 42. I want to be able to keep the migrants out of this country because of COVID. But this is where I think they're going to have some major court challenges coming up. I really do. And I think luckily the answer to the question of whether or not a constitutional is going to be a big fat hell no. Hell no, it's not legal. Hell no, it's not constitutional. Nobody with a straight face could think that. Except this administration doesn't have a straight face, obviously. And uh, are we done yet with all this? No, of course not. We're, we're not. We're not done with any of this yet. They're only just beginning. Elizabeth Warren came out yesterday and basically said the same thing. This helps so many people. Let's keep doing it. And this is what she said yesterday. Cut 17, Dan. Look, I'm not at all surprised that Mitch McConnell is attacking this. And the reason he's attacking it is because it is very, very popular. Popular among Democrats, independents, Republicans, popular. And you know why? Because I don't think there's anybody left in America who doesn't know somebody who isn't struggling with student loan debt. Um, This has become a part of our country now. People for whom their only sin was to want to try to get an education and not be in a family that could afford to write a check for it. And what we're saying is, as a nation, we can do better than that. Yeah, as a nation, we can do better than that, she says. So she doesn't think this goes far enough. A lot of people on the left don't think it goes far enough, which is insane. But That's what they believe. I know it's crazy. But don't worry, because I think there's enough blowback on this and enough legal challenges that will pop up that, yeah, maybe we can all say definitively that this is not going to happen. I sure hope so, because I really, really do not think it's fair, not to me, not to you, not to any of us. It's just not fair. This is The Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you this afternoon. We're going to talk to Congresswoman Nancy Mace about this, get her take on this, and find out what her constituents are saying about this. I got a feeling the former Waffle House waitress is going to think this is incredibly unfair. Don't go away. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. (laughs) 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Yes, it is the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli from Talk Radio 1210 WPHC in Philadelphia with you this afternoon. And we're talking student debt and Biden's bribery. And I'm very, very excited to welcome to the program Congresswoman Nancy Mace. She represents South Carolina. And I tell you what, I'm so happy to have her on the show this afternoon. Congresswoman, first woman to graduate from the Citadel and the first Republican woman ever elected to Congress from South Carolina. How are you today? I'm good, sir. Thank you for having me this afternoon. So how does a former Waffle House waitress feel about the president just canceling student loan debt? Well, it's totally unfair. I mean, you see blue-collar workers now are going to foot the bill for somebody going to Harvard Law School. And I don't know in what world any of this makes sense. And you look at what the far left is saying about this thing. Even Nancy Pelosi said just last year that the president doesn't have the power to just wave off student student loan debt. But the far left, they they believe your nine-year-old understands enough to change their gender, but your 19-year-old doesn't understand enough that a loan is something that you pay back. This is the timeline in the world that we are currently living in, and it is outrageous. That's a great analogy, by the way. It seems like the left is all over the place when it comes to how old kids can be to do certain things. Uh, You know, six years old to change your gender, but uh, 21 to be able to to buy a gun. I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Have you heard a lot of uh, from your constituents in South Carolina? Well, blue collar workers, certainly, who didn't have an opportunity to go to college. And I, I, I was talking to some folks this morning and my AC guy went to high school with him with good friends. He works really hard to provide for his family, works two jobs, didn't have an opportunity to go to college. And that guy would essentially in theory be paying for my kids to go to school. And that doesn't make any sense in this world. And I guess Joe Biden is trying to buy votes with this particular scheme. But even Nancy Pelosi said just last year that would literally take an act of Congress to do this or this more than likely will just be fought in the courts, maybe even up to the Supreme Court. He doesn't have the power to actually do this. You don't think he does? No, I don't. I don't either, because it seems contract. like you know, they're using. It's the law, right? Yeah. It's Sorry, contract. Congresswoman. Go ahead. Yeah. No, this is a contract, right? Loans are contracts. The president doesn't have the ability to intervene with those things, in my opinion. I agree with you. And uh, I, I think that, you know, them justifying this using 9-11 powers and then saying because COVID, are, are we still in a COVID emergency or not? Because when it came to Title 42, the same administration just three months ago said there was no COVID emergency anymore. Right. And the CDC has also moved the, the goalposts, too. And pretty much if you have COVID, you know, stay home for a few days. If you get exposed to it, no one really cares anymore. Um, they're following <laughs> medical science rather than political science these days, it seems. Yeah, and nobody's had to pay their student loans literally since March of 2020. So if, if even if you make the argument COVID has hurt people, how can you argue it's hurt people with student loans? They have not had to pay them, and the president just extended them again till the end of the year. Right. And if you do want to truly help people not just have a political stunt with student loan paybacks, maybe let them write the interest off that debt or write off their payments when they're doing their taxes. A hundred percent. Right. There are other legal constitutional means to help people rather than do a stunt, which is going to garner headlines for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks and maybe earn a few votes in November, but is not constitutionally or legally sound, in my opinion. 
Congresswoman Nancy Mace is with me. How do you think the midterm elections are looking right now? Do you think that after Tuesday's special elections, there's cause for Republicans to be a little bit nervous or how do you what do you think? I think there's pause over over the course of this summer. A number of things have happened, and it's put us on our heels a little bit. And I've been really vocal on some of those things. And I'm a I'm a pro life mom uh, and and woman, but also I want to make sure that we're not listening to the extremes on either side of the argument right now. I've, I'm home to a state where you know they want to ban all all of the exceptions nearly. And I was raped when I was 16. I'm very vocal about those issues. And I think that as Republicans, when we have fumbled the in the past has been when we've been solely pointing out problems and not providing solutions. And I think that looking at where we want to go for our nation's future and each of the districts that we all represent in our states of record is that we really want to be and should be solution focused on even the touchiest of issues for Republicans, because we know that the mainstream media are always going to be against us. We saw what they did to the previous administration and still are going after the former president in every way that they can, but also they go after conservatives. And so I'm going to be very solution driven going into the, the midterm cycle. I represent a swing district. Or very much purple is probably putting it uh, nicely in my district. Um, but we need to be focused on, on the future of our country, bringing people together. But what solutions can we offer to the American people on every issue, even the touchiest and most sensitive ones? It seems like the Democrats drive the the debate so often. It seems like especially when it comes to, for example, you know, since they overturned Roe v. Wade, the Democrats drive the conversation. Do you think Republicans have to just keep working to get it back to the economy? I think we have to work twice as hard to be seen as equal because literally everybody is against us, whether we're talking about mainstream media trying to set up conservatives with gotcha interviews um, to social media. We don't have an edge there. And I think in part it's because all of those systems are working against us. And so in my opinion, I just say, well, you know what? Heck, I got to work twice as hard this time than last time. And that's the attitude I think all of us should have today. I wanted to uh, bring up uh, Dr. Fauci with you because I, I this morning I was actually I was talking to Jared Kushner with about his new book and he mentioned that you know Fauci's out there flip flopping all over the place and Fauci's trying to argue that he never supported lockdowns and Jared said no listen absolutely in the White House he was pushing for lockdowns no question about it uh, I I think Fauci needs to be investigated here not only for gain of function research but really his role in in so many of these decisions that I think were disastrous for our nation. Well, Dr. Fauci should be saving his emails. <laughs> I mean, we do need to investigate him. And, and when Republicans are in the majority in the House, this will be part of the role of the Oversight Committee under Jamie Comer's leadership, because he'll be chairman, to investigate these things. He has flip-flopped. He told us at the beginning of COVID-19 that masks didn't work. Don't buy them. Come to find out. They said, well, they are effective. And they, he was doing that to mislead the American people. And he's misled the American people on so much related to COVID-19. And it was even under under Dr. Fauci's leadership, we found out last fall in November about all of the beagle puppy testing that they're doing on animals. And even in my backyard, in my district off the coast of South Carolina, we, you know, we learned about uh, rhesus monkey testing that he's doing that NIH has not been forthcoming and sometimes denied. And he has a lot of questions that we need to have answered. And I fully expect us under Comer's leadership to investigate the CDC and Dr. Fauci and NIH when we get to be in the majority next year. No, the puppy thing just sounds gross. 
Oh, it's awful. I mean, they spent millions of dollars uh, torturing these puppies, cutting out their vocal cords and drug testing them before they killed them. And it's gruesome. It's barbaric. It's disgusting. And it's an issue. I do a lot of animal rights work, but it's an issue that I've been able to bring the far right and the far left together on because we all care about all of God's creatures. And uh, it's disgusting. Some of what we uncovered in the fall, the FOIAs, uh, what NIH has been doing. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear that. And then you mentioned President Trump and you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the former president's legal. They're still coming after him, still fighting him. Any minute now, the judge could decide to release the affidavit, which led to the search warrant and the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Uh, I, I'm assuming you think he should release the affidavit. I want as much information as possible. In fact, I'm merging the FBI and DOJ when we're back in September for votes before election season that they brief us in a classified setting. We ought to, I have more questions than I have answers. And I, I shared for the first time really publicly yesterday that, you know, I don't want to vilify any of our law enforcement. They're there to keep us safe and our community safe. But there are always bad apples in every organization, including the FBI. And as you mentioned earlier on the program, when I was a cadet at the Citadel, there were only four women in the first year when we started. And halfway through the year, two had dropped out. And there was an investigation by the FBI. And I had my own run-in where my civil rights were violated by the FBI. They plucked me off of campus one day. I was holed up in an office uh, in downtown Charleston, South Carolina, for eight hours, not given any opportunity to talk to an attorney, to even be told that I have the ability to talk to an attorney before I was interrogated by the FBI for eight hours. My parents were not even told. And here I am, an 18-year-old kid who doesn't know any better, having their civil rights violated by the FBI. And so, uh, you know, they're not always to be trusted. And that's that's where I think where you see journalists on the left and the right really question the precedent of raiding the former president's home, where you love him or hate him. The FBI was there in May. They were there again in June. They had access to all of these boxes in the rooms where the boxes were being stored. And and so I have more questions than answers at this point as why was this necessary if they already had access to all of this information previously. Congresswoman Nancy Mace, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing that story with us. Really important. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful you did. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, and that judge's decision could come out any moment now. So we're watching and we're waiting, which is great. Um, it, oh, it looks like looks like it just came out. Actually, it's a matter of uh, seconds ago. U.S. judge orders release of redacted version of affidavit for FBI search of Trump's home by Friday. Wyatt just sent this over to me. Thank you, Wyatt. You're reporting on this, by the way, Wyatt, before anybody else seems to have this, which is fantastic. I don't even see uh, a Chiron yet. By noon on Friday. Okay. Um, good. All right. This is excellent. This is this is good news. U.S. judge orders release of redacted version. of. Now, the only thing here which makes me concerned is that the judge had previously said he would allow the government to appeal. And, you know, the government's going to appeal. So now what that tells me is that the government has till noon tomorrow to file their appeal. And then the judge is going to probably wait until that appeal is heard. That's my sense of it. I don't trust this. I think that if the judge wanted to release it, he'd just release it. He would just release it right now. He could just put it out there in the moment. But when the judge said he would not stand in the way of the government's appeal, that told me everything I needed to know. That, that of course, of course, the Department of Justice is going to appeal that decision. They're probably Their lawyers are probably running the court right now. And they'll file something, and then a judge will quickly rule on it and say, okay, we're going to hear the uh, affidavit. And then this judge will probably come out and say, then we're not going to release it until that's heard. 
That's what I'm guessing here. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll ask Andy McCarthy about that. He's the expert a little bit later in the show. It is the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, in with, in with you today, in for Guy, and we'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Well, breaking news, the uh, federal judge orders the redacted affidavit released by Friday tomorrow at noon. Uh, Shannon Bream uh, tweeting out the following. Judge orders redacted affidavit behind the Mar-a-Lago search to be released on or before noon Eastern time. Friday, August 26, 2022, the government shall file in the public docket a version of the affidavit containing the redactions proposed in ECF number 89-1. Now, that just came out literally moments ago, so you're getting that breaking news. Uh, But my concern is that the government's going to appeal and that the judge is going to say, "Okay, we'll put this on hold until the appeal process goes through. That's that's my concern. And I know that uh, when Andy McCarthy joins me later today at 435, I'm going to ask him that question and to get his sense of it, because I'm also worried that all these redactions are going to make this whole thing basically um, unusable. That's what I'm worried about. That's what really concerns me. You know, something else that came out today is that we are officially in a recession. I know you can't say the word recession. Zip it. Don't say anything. Don't you act like there's a recession. But the truth of the matter is we are in a recession as the GDP shrank at revised 0.6 percent rate in the second quarter, signaling the United States of America remains in a technical recession. Bad news for Joe Biden, of course. Bad news for the Democrats. As much as they were hoping that uh, they could distract you with all kinds of nonsense, the truth is that we are, in fact, officially in a recession. What does that mean to people? Well, it's anybody's guess. I mean, I, I will say that if you are like most people trying to just get by right now with the soaring prices of gas and food and everything like this, you, this is not news to you. You've known about this. You've known this was the case in quite some time. Second quarter GDP was initially reported to have shrunk 0.9 percent. It shrank at a slightly lower pace in the second quarter than previously reported, but continued to meet the criteria for a so-called technical inflation as raging inflation and higher interest rates weighed on consumer spending. This is from Fox Business. And remember, consumer spending is really what drives all this. Gross domestic product, the broadest measure of goods and services produced across the economy, shrank by 0.6% on an annualized basis in the second quarter. Heck of a job, Brandon. Oh, Joey, heck of a job. The improvements stem from better data on consumer spending. Now, this is because you gotta, you got to pull back. You've been spending so much on gas. You've been spending so much on household goods. you got to pull back. And so when you, you bring that up in the context of this canceling student loan debt, You understand why people who understand the economy, like Lauren Summers, even though the guy's a lefty, he says this is going to be bad for inflation. This is going to be bad. Now, that stands in stark contrast with what Susan Rice said about this, who thinks that this program will actually be good for the economy. I don't know how anybody can suggest the government spending at this point in time, $500 billion with a B is good for the economy. But nevertheless, cut 11. The actions we are announcing today are going to be good for our economy. We are on track to cut the federal deficit by more than $1.7 trillion this year, the single largest deficit reduction ever. And numerous experts affirm that restarting paused loan repayments at around the same time as we provide targeted debt relief 
will not have any meaningful effect on inflation. Uh, survey says Lawrence Summers tweeting out student loan debt relief is spending that raises demand and increases inflation. It consumes resources that could be better used helping those who did not, for whatever reason, have the chance to attend college. It will also tend to be inflationary by raising tuitions. Absolutely. He said the worst idea would be a continuation of the current moratorium, which is exactly what Biden did yesterday, extending it to the end of the year. That benefits, among other groups, highly paid surgeons, lawyers, and investment bankers. Absolutely right. You know, this also benefits, too, people with graduate degrees, master's degrees, doctoral degrees. The threshold that goes like this, very simple. If you have a high school degree, you don't make as much as somebody with an associate's degree. Somebody Now, obviously, there's exceptions all across the board. A lot of people make a ton of money with or without a high school degree. They've started businesses, no doubt. But just on average, associate's make more than high school degrees. Bachelor's degrees make more than associate's degrees. Master's degrees make more than bachelor's, and doctoral degrees make more than master's degrees. And then professional degrees, which are doctors and lawyers and other people, they make more than everybody. And they have a lot of debt. They have a lot of debt. So when you think about who you're helping here, and the reason why this is the continuation of this moratorium, again, somebody may be working as a doctor right now, maybe just starting out doing their residency, and they got a lot of medical school debt, but guess what? They're going to be in a good position to be able to pay it off very, very soon. So the fact that we're in a recession right now, a technical recession, and you know what? You don't even have to worry about the word technical. All you got to ask yourself is this. When I take my family to the store and I buy groceries, am I paying more or less than I was a few months ago or even a year ago or even two years ago? That's the only question that needs to be asked, and I think we know the answer to that. So we've known that this, whether, whether technical or not, we know what this is. Coming up on The Guy Benson Show, we're going to have a conversation with Adam Goodman. He is the Edward R. Morrow Senior Fellow, Tufts University, and we're going to talk about uh, what is going to happen in Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, is getting a lot of blowback for his joke, and it was a joke, about chucking that little elf Fauci across the Potomac, which I, still makes me laugh. I mean, you know. He was clearly joking, but, you know. Anyway, we're going to have a conversation with Adam Goodman about that. His piece from The Hill, what is going to happen in Florida. Plus, we'll get breaking news from Andy McCarthy a little bit later on the show as well. So much to come here on The Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you this afternoon. Don't go away. Conventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative. Guy Benson Show. Those who support the governor should stay with him and vote for him. And I don't want your vote. If you have that hate in your heart, keep it there. I want the vote of the people of Florida who care about our state. Good Democrats, good independents, good Republicans. Unify with this ticket. I don't want your vote. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD in Philadelphia, where I host the morning show. 
Great to be with you this afternoon. Here to talk about the Florida race with me, Adam Goodman, National Republican Media Strategist, Senior Edward R. Murrow Fellow, Tufts Fletcher School and National TV Commentator. Great to have him with me. He's on Twitter at Adam Goodman 3. Adam, thanks for making time today. This is definitely going to be one of the most watched, if not the most watched race in the country for governor, I think. you you got to smile a little bit when you hear that clip, Rich. You One of the classic things you always coach a candidate to do is to ask for the vote. <laughs> there you have Charlie Chris asking not for the vote. Uh, the problem that Charlie Chris faced and the problem that either one of the nominees uh, that were running in Florida for governor faced is what's your message? What is the message you have against the Florida story, which was one of the few uh, ongoing pieces of good news during a very tough news climate of COVID, uh, where the governor on, on almost every scorecard uh, has made Florida kind of one of the, the pinnacles of, of success and excellence and freedom and all the wonderful things in the country. And you see that, uh, Rich, because of all the people that have moved there uh, in the last two and a half years. They, they're moving with their feet as well as their hearts. Yeah, it's been a real success story. It's, it's funny, too, Adam, how many people are leaving California to come to Florida? Well, you probably have seen the spot from Governor Newsom in California where he is decrying the lack of freedom in Florida and welcoming people to come there. Well, if you look at the numbers uh, over the last year of out-migration from California, for the first time ever, California has lost population. I think that speaks volumes for how you know, Newsom's message is uh, hypocrisy and how Americans have really looked at places like Florida and Texas uh, and a couple of others as, uh, as beacons of places to go where uh, freedom and democracy and the ability to achieve opportunity is still alive and well. So, Adam, when you think about this race for governor of Florida, first of all, were you surprised that Charlie Crist won the primary over Nikki Freed? Not at all. He had major league name ID that comes from having been governor and many other things over the course of his political career. Had a big base, Rich, in the southeast, especially among older Floridians. And in the southeast is where the really the heart of the Democratic base is in Florida. Nikki Free just didn't have the resource to compete against that. I think she may have a future somewhere downstream. Uh, but this was Charlie's to lose. And I think uh, this result uh, was not unexpected, and now Charlie has to not has to do something he hasn't done before. The message you just played, in part, says that he is going at this out of the box in a very negative, almost assaulting manner. That is not the Charlie Chris of old. He's going to have to learn new tricks and try to find a message again, as I said up front, Rich, uh, a winning message that is very, very hard to see. Yeah, Adam Goodman, I mean, that clip clearly, like you said, your rule number one of politics is ask for people's vote. It's not tell them I don't want your vote. He can't win. I mean, there's no pathway for him to win unless he peels votes away from Ron DeSantis. There's also something else. I'm just thinking about this out loud, Rich, that that kind of explains why that message won't sell. We have enough negativity out there right now. I mean, we just have nothing but negativity, it feels, you know, everywhere we look. People are looking for a shot in the arm. The reason they warmed up to Governor DeSantis is he gave them a reason to get up in the morning feeling something positive. The Charlie Chris message out of the box is entirely negative. It's just negative. Uh, I, you know, he's, 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 it's a personal assault against the governor. 
as being intolerant and, to, and, and against freedom and democracy, all the wonderful things. And, it, and it's a negative feeling in an environment where people are thirsting for positive. It will not play. And the other thing, by the way, Rich, is the actual reality of demographics in Florida have dramatically changed, where for the first time in, in history, Republicans outnumber Democrats in registration. They're up about 240,000 now uh, for the first time ever. And independents uh, uh, are gaining as well at the expense of Democrats. Democrats are losing young, young voters to the independent line. And so the demographics themselves and the Hispanics uh, have gone much more decidedly Republican. You see that Miami-Dade. You, everywhere you look, you don't see a path to victory for Charlie Crist on his best day. But I think what you just heard in that clip was Charlie Crist and one of his worst. Adam Goodman's with me. He is a political expert and a media strategist. He is the Edward R. Morrow Senior Fellow at the Tufts University School of Communications and a partner at Ballard Partners. Adam, let, let me uh, ask you about Ron DeSantis 2024, because obviously, I mean, he was just in my state of Pennsylvania the other day, came in a campaign for Doug Mastriano. Uh, the Florida governor is not coming to Pennsylvania unless he's got eyes on the White House. So uh, I guess it's a, a couple thoughts here. I mean, number one, if, if Trump does run, does DeSantis sit this one out? Because that's going to be a very crowded lane. And if Trump does not run, does the party turn its eyes to Ron DeSantis as basically the front runner? Well, that's the million dollar question, right? The, the one thing you learn in politics is do a good job and everything else kind of takes care of itself. On That's something that Governor DeSantis obviously has right now. He's done a very good job, but he also has a message. Part of it is he's communicating that the Republican Party is no longer the party of big business, but the party of America's working class. Uh, also, and you saw this in Virginia with uh, now Governor Youngkin, uh, when he really kind of grew the tent, uh, showing a different kind of leader, someone who's smart, instinctive, accomplished, and genuine. Youngkin actually grew the Republican tent in 21. I think Governor DeSantis has the ability to do that nationally. Now, what does it mean in terms of the speculation of would he take on uh, uh, former President Trump, who is you know very very popular uh, still with the Republican base? I mean that's one for the for the parlor so to speak. I mean both of them are incredibly talented, incredibly able. But Governor DeSantis's message uh, over the last uh, couple of years has resonated big, and what he's really saying to America is take a look at Florida. We need more. Uh, happening across the, the, the country, like what we're doing in the Sunshine State. If we do, I think the country and all Americans will benefit. Before I let you go, Adam, I wanted to ask you, you have a piece uh, you wrote over at thehill.com, May the Best Woman Win. Let's talk about that. Well, one of the great uh, signs of evolution in America uh, is just that, that more and more women are not only running for office now but winning. And historically, this year, uh, if, um, as expected, Republicans win the gubernatorial in Arkansas, uh, backed by the lieutenant governor uh, there, that will set history for the first time ever that, a, that women were both governor and lieutenant governor in any state. That may ha actually happen also in Massachusetts on the other side of the line uh, with the Democrats, with Healy uh, and possibly uh, the mayor of Salem. That is a really good uh, – that feels good, that here in America, we're, we're not only uh, – women are not only aspiring 
to uh, higher office. They're winning, and they're winning in historic numbers. Good for us. Well, that is good. And, and then obviously women voters are going to be a big part of what happens in the midterm elections. And you know, there's a lot of talk from Democrats right now that, oh, Republicans are just going to they're going to get killed with women voters since the overturn of Roe v. Wade. But Adam Goodman, I, I got to think still the economy trumps that because women like men have you know families and kids and jobs. And we're all dealing with this inflation right now. You're totally right. It's, it's still very tough out there for a lot of Americans, uh, especially over the past year. And inflation, what you hear from a lot of economists is inflation, which has subsided a bit, is going to come roaring back again. Uh, and that's not, that, that, that punishes everybody. And that goes beyond lines of, of class and gender. That goes into the, the bottom line of pocketbook economics. And that's where I think the Republican message is still going to be strong and will lead to you know, at least a shift in the House this fall. Adam Goodman, thanks for joining me here on the show. Appreciate it very much. Enjoyed it. Take care of yourself. And uh, the breaking news, of course, that we're still watching right now, the federal judge orders redacted affidavit release by tomorrow noon Friday. We'll talk to Annie McCarthy about that a little bit later in the show. But I think it's really important to understand something, uh, and that is that uh, while the judge says the government has met his requirement when it comes to the redactions, uh, the judge had previously said that he was open to the concept of the government being able to appeal. So we got to look into that. We got to understand that and what that means. And obviously, we'll talk to the expert himself, Andy McCarthy. This is the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you this afternoon. A busy, busy Thursday. Breaking news all over the place. Don't go away. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Two issues I think you're going to make. Uh, Real significant impact going into November are education and crime. No question about it. We talk about the economy a lot today in the show, but education and crime. Now, two things on that. First of all, in New York City now, the NYPD, the cops there have been ordered not to congregate or hang out on the streets or converse on city streets, according to a memo. The New York Post reporting this earlier today and Fox News picking it up. The NYPD released a memo ordering cops not to congregate or take part in unnecessary conversation with each other. This is literally weeks after Mayor Eric Adams chastised officers on the street for chatting on the job. The order dated Tuesday marks a revision to the patrol guide for officers and supervisors instructing them to ensure cops aren't gathering together. Do not congregate or engage in unnecessary conversation with other members of the service while on post. Absent police necessity, the order states. Why not? Cops have talked to each other forever on the streets. What's wrong with this? In another section specifically to patrol supervisors, the order states that bosses should, quote, ensure members of the service do not congregate or engage in unnecessary conversation with other members of the service while on post, absent police necessity. And this comes in the wake of a video that shows Eric Adams, Mayor Adams, at a summer streets bike ride in Manhattan on August 6th. The, vi- the footage was posted on social media. The mayor points to officers on a corner and tells them, uh, tells their, actually tells their supervisors they should, they should all not be congregating together. He says, how about scattering out so we ensure safety and deploy personnel, he said. Reaction to the order was swift from the country's largest police union, which quipped that there would not be enough officers to congregate soon because so many of them are quitting the job. Morale is so low. I don't blame them. So they talk to each other for a few minutes. What's the big freaking deal? 
The order is unnecessary, said Police Benevolent Association President Patrick Lynch. Pretty soon there won't be enough cops left to congregate anywhere in the city because these miserable working conditions and the low pay are forcing them to quit in droves. Yeah. A Manhattan police officer more than two decades on the job also bristled at the missive. He said, worry about crime in the city and stop worrying about cops congregating. Worry about your transit system and how it's out of control. Worry about your shootings. Officers can't even walk around their own neighborhood without getting their butt kicked. A policing expert said the orders show the department is suffering from staffing issues. A John Jay College of Criminal Justice professor, former NYPD sergeant, said it just goes to show you that they're spread thin. They don't have enough people. You can't cover all these events and move cops to hotspots. And after a while, you have to say to yourself, who's left? Yeah, no, no doubt, because, I mean, it's a tough job. Morale is low. And if cops can talk to other cops for a few minutes, I'm not saying all day long, but you know, lose your common sense here. I, I talk to my coworkers. You talk to your coworkers? I imagine you imagine you do, right? What's the big deal? Zip it, cops. Zip it. Don't talk to each other. That's not the first time that Adams has done this. You know, he used to be an NYPD captain. And he's tinkered with the way cops patrol the streets. In May, the mayor ordered police officers to begin solo patrols in the subway system amid a rash of crimes. They were modified very quickly, however, one day later after a detective was assaulted while working on a Brooklyn subway platform by himself. In April, the NYPD formally banned romantic relationships between bosses and underlings in the agency. Yeah, you know, you can't have that. So crime is definitely going to be an issue. I know that my city of Philadelphia, the cops, have their morale is also low because between these prosecutors who go after the cops like they're the bad guys... The lack of support from the politicians and the crime, it's surging everywhere. It's very problematic. It really is. Now, the other issue it's going to be a big deal is education. I mentioned yesterday that in Florida, oh, boy, did they crush it. Conservatives won school board elections throughout the state, taking over like 10 counties or something like that. It was, it was remarkable how they did this. It really was. And Governor Ron DeSantis was on Tucker Carlson last night on Fox News, and um, he talked about this a little bit. Cut 22. Parents are seeing what's going on now more than ever. So there was a lot of energy. But I think all really understand that we got to get this education stuff right. Uh, so we worked hard in 30 different races. Uh, we ended up winning 25 of the races that I was involved in. And as you said, some of that were sweeps to where you have school boards that were majority left, now majority right. Part of the problem that we saw with this is you would have red counties, but because the, the school board races under our Constitution are nonpartisan, the union would back a leftist, fund the leftists, and you'd have a left-wing school board representing a conservative county. So we have fixed that in many of these places to where the school boards are now going to be representative of the values of the people that live there. And obviously the people want those kind of candidates there, which is really, really good. And so crime matters, education matters, and obviously having good candidates in school board races matters too. This is very important. You want to make sure you have the best candidates running and that they're trained and that they know what they're doing. Cut 23. As successful as it was, this is just step one. We're going to institutionalize this going forward uh, so that we have good candidates running in these school board races as a matter of course. And so this is part of how we're educating voters uh, to make sure that we have people on those school, school boards who want to educate kids, not indoctrinate kids and that are going to be reflective of the values of the communities that they serve. 
Bingo. No doubt about it. And and as a dad with three kids, I got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old in school and a two-year-old who's not in school. Obviously, she's too young. Uh, I've had it with the indoctrination. I've had it with the woke stuff. I've had it with the nonsense. It was a story in Texas where these kids in Texas saw an advertisement for sex toys in school. What is that about? It's kind of stuff that should not be happening. And, you know, in Philadelphia, for example, CHOP, which is a children's hospital, they had a professor on there. Libs at TikTok found this. She's going on about how we should start talking to kids as young as six about their gender journey. Six years old. What are you, nuts? So I don't want that stuff in school. I'm sure you don't want that stuff in school. And having good school board candidates who can push back against this woke nonsense is going to matter. But education is going to be a huge issue. So is crime. You put in education, inflation, and crime, you put all these three things together, I think those are going to be the big issues. Abortion, climate change, not so much. That goes further down the list. Now, coming up, the breaking news, the judge and the FBI Mar-Largo raid says the government has until noon or that the affidavit will be released tomorrow at noon. That's what the judge says. The question that I'll ask Andy McCarthy in the next segment is, is this really going to happen or is the government going to appeal? And will the judge probably stay this decision until the appeal is heard? But before I go very quickly, Joe Biden yesterday was asked a question about what does he know? Cut 19. Mr. President, how much advance notice did you have of the FBI's plan to search Mar-a-Lago? I didn't have any advance notice. None. Zero. Not one single bit. That is just categorically a lie, as I'll explain. It's the Guy Benson Show. Don't go away. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show. It's great to be with you this afternoon on a very busy breaking news day. It's Rich Zioli from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. And I am very, very excited, especially on such a busy day like today, to have our guest, Andrew McCarthy, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and author of Ball Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency on Twitter at Andrew C. McCarthy. Uh, Andy, thanks for making time today. It's always great to talk to you, my friend. Rich, it's my pleasure. It's been too long, so thank you for coming on, especially on a day like today. Uh, break down for us what the judge has has uh, ruled this afternoon. Well, it's not much. I mean, he's. He, I think he's sorry he dug this hole for himself in the first place. Um, you know, they, these news organizations last week asked for disclosure of the warrant affidavit supporting the search of Trump's estate at Mar-a-Lago. And the problem is it's in the middle of the investigation. That's unusual in a normal investigation because you can't get a warrant unless there's probable cause of a crime, Rich. You have, that's the same standard for a search warrant as it is for an arrest warrant. So you, if you have one, you have the other, right? You have probable cause for both. Um, so usually what the government does is it does the search warrants at the end of the investigation. And then there's no to do about discovery and whether people get to you know, understand what's in the warrants, because in a criminal case, when you charge people, they get indicted. And then these affidavits have to be provided to the defense and discovery. And we get to find out what's in them because the defense makes motions to suppress evidence and the like. So this is unusual because they decided to do this search 
while they're in the middle of their investigation, which, by the way, is you know causes me to suspect, as I've as I've suspected all along, and maybe I'll be proved wrong about this, that I don't think they really want to do a criminal prosecution here. I think they just wanted the documents back. But in any event, you can't if you if you if you disclose a warrant affidavit in the middle of an investigation. You're going to give up while the guys are still trying to gather evidence. You're going to you're going to give up the identities of witnesses, the avenues that the investigation is trying to pursue. You encourage people to flee. You encourage people to destroy evidence. It's a disaster for an investigation, which is why they always do this at the end rather than in the middle. So you know, he told the Justice Department, "Go back and figure out what you can disclose," and then of course the Justice Department wrote to him saying, you know, look, you're going to blow our investigation, and here's the eight zillion reasons that that this stuff shouldn't be disclosed. And it apparently proposed a few things that you could disclose that wouldn't harm the investigation. Like, for example, you know they've had this to do over um, over whether there should be a special master or not. Trump yeah. wants a special master to review all the evidence. Well, when the Justice Department went to the judge to get the warrant – I'm sure they laid out in the Warren affidavit, here's the procedures we're going to use if we get privileged information to protect the, you know, the interest of the people that the privilege attaches to and to make sure that information doesn't get to the, to the prosecutors. That's the kind of information you could easily reveal because it doesn't tell anyone anything. It's just a process they're going to use to screen information. But it doesn't tell you the the things you really want to know, which is what's their probable cause that crimes were committed and why did they decide they needed a warrant rather than like the less intrusive ways of trying to get evidence. And Andy, did did I read uh, that the judge had also said he'd be open to allowing the government to appeal and then staying the release until that process goes through? So if that's the case, then we probably wouldn't see this tomorrow afternoon anyway. Well, now I don't think there'll be an appeal, and I'll tell you why in a second. But let me start out by just saying if if Reinhardt said that, that was really big of him because, you know, the rules provide that he can be appealed. So whether he was whether he would uh, allow, you know, whether he'd be inclined to let them appeal or not is beside the point. They get to appeal. If they don't like what he does, they they can appeal. But um, what he did was he said to the government, you propose some redactions or some unredactions to me. In other words, show me the parts that you would reveal. And what he got them to do was show the parts that they would reveal, but they heavily redacted it in order to protect the things they're worried about, like the identities of witnesses and, and uh, you know, methods of gathering information, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what he then says in the short order is, okay, rev- disclose what you proposed. So it's going to be hard for the government now to appeal him when they you know, when they basically gave him this document and said, this is the stuff I th- that we think you can safely disclose without destroying our investigation. You know, how do they appeal that when they're the ones who said you can, you know, you can reveal this stuff without hurting us? So I don't think there'll be an appeal, but I also think that means when we see this, we're not going to see anything that's, uh, that's going to be of interest to anyone. So here's what I don't understand. Uh, Andrew McCarthy's with me. Andrew C. McCarthy, Fox News contributor, of course, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and author of Ball Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andy, this is what I understand. It, it, do you, is this a criminal investigation or was this a retrieval of documents? This is a criminal investigation. 
you can only get a, a search warrant in a criminal investigation. That's the only thing it's available for. Um, so the three crimes that they lay out in the warrant, uh, Rich, are the Espionage Act, which mainly deals with uh, classified information, a crime of record retention, which ba basically makes it a crime to um, conceal or remove government records from their rightful place, which is, you know, in the repository where you keep government records. And then they have something about obstruction that we don't know too much about yet, but I suspect um, has something to do with whatever they think they saw on surveillance video that they made the Trump people turn over by a grand jury subpoena. So those are the three crimes they're talking about. And we should be clear that the, it, the judge had to have found that there was probable cause that those crimes had been committed and that evidence of the crimes would be found in Mar-a-Lago in order to sign the warrant. If he, if he hadn't made those two findings, you don't sign the warrant. And what about the, the idea that the, the president can just declassify whatever he wants and then going back to that case, which, you know, Bill Clinton's sock drawer and, and, and the whole notion that the judge found in that case that, you know, whatever president's decide is their property versus the, the government's property or the people's property, I should say, it's really up to them. And there's broad discretion there. Yeah, I, I don't I think the um, I think Trump probably stands to lose on uh, both of those. It, it's possible that he could win on the declassification in the sense that we've never had to litigate um, what a president has to do to declassify. But there are provisions in the law, including the Presidential Records Act, that direct that with respect to the actions that a president takes, even um, even, uh, you know, actions that are only ceremonial. Uh, what Congress has said is the president's supposed to document these things and then see to it that they are preserved in government records. So uh, there's going to be a strong argument that he can't just like wave a magic wand and say it's declassified. Uh, he might be able to do that because we've never litigated it. And he's going to say that, you know, it's in my constitutional authority. Congress can't prescribe uh, what I have to do. But I, I'm not so sure that the, that's going to fly uh, with the federal courts. Uh, and, and so I don't, I don't think he's going to be okay on declassification. And as far as the, the records act is concerned, he does not get to keep the records. I know he, you know, he, he I think what they're confusing here is the difference between what's privileged and the ownership of property under the presidential records act. All of the records are the property of the United States unless they are clearly personal items. And those, what's personal is defined in the statute. The president doesn't get to say, oh, these nuclear codes, this looks like personal information of mine. You know, it's, it's kind of described in there what's government and what's personal. And the thing is, this is how this works in terms of ownership. All government records at any time are the property of the United States. That's been the law since the late 1970s. While the president is president, He's the custodian of records of his administration. The moment the president is no longer president, under the Presidential Records Act, the custodian becomes the archivist of the United States. But that doesn't change the ownership. The ownership is always – the documents are owned by the government of the United States. So the presumption of the statute is they're always supposed to be kept in government repositories – and what the act provides is that the, the president has access to his own documents, 
but he doesn't get to keep them. He doesn't get to possess them and control them. The possession and control of the documents by law is the custodian who, you know, after the president is out of office, is the archivist of the United States. Well, certainly there's going to be litigation, no doubt, to your point earlier about since they've never really litigated the process by which the president um, decides what's classified and what's not. So I I do agree with you. That's going to be played out. Switching gears real quick, the um, student loan uh, debt repayment that Biden outlaid yesterday. I mean, is it be Andy McCarthy or is this thing completely unconstitutional and way beyond the scope of what the power of the Department of Education has here under the law? Yeah, I, I was so upset about this, uh, Rich, that I almost jumped out my window because I was stupid enough to pay back my student loan. But then I realized I'm not really up high enough, and I'd only probably, like, break my ankle. I wouldn't do anything <laughs> worse. Um, so this, this, is the, this is the most lawless thing uh, that Biden has done in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I realize, you know, we have to go in short windows here, right? He's done right. so many lawless things since he went. But, I mean, this is, like, totally lawless. Um, even Nancy Pelosi said you need a statute for this. This is like something Congress would have to do. And the reason Congress has never done it is because um, it, most of the country is going to go crazy over this. I know that they say the polling on it was like 50-50, but that's before it happens. You know, once once you order this and it sinks into people that, as, as DeSantis said, you're going to make somebody who went out and, you know uh, – Instead of going to college, they went out and, you know, spent their money and started a business and and, uh, all that stuff. You're going to make them pay for, you know, somebody who got a Ph.D. in gender studies. Uh, That's ridiculous. You know, it's more. So when people, I think, start sitting with how offensive this is, it's going to be really unpopular, which is why I think a lot of the news that you've seen that's broken today is, you know, Democrats who are seeking office. You know, they're candidates for the Senate and the House. They're heading for the hills on this. They're like, uh, you know, I don't know what Biden's doing here. You know, he knows he needs a statute, and this is our uh, authority in Congress. So I I, I think, you know, this was a mistake. And um, in in terms of, like, just the sheer politics of it, I think he might as well forgive it all the debt because, <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was an utterly illegal thing to do, but – the left is still mad at him because he didn't do enough. Right, they so didn't go far the enough. He was trying to please, and they're they're mad at him anyway. So what did he what did he accomplish here? <laughs> he, the people he wanted to to help out or or, or uh, you know cheer for him are angry at him because he didn't do enough, and the rest of the country is going to be you know furious. Yeah, well said, well said, uh, Andy McCarthy. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney, and of course author of Ball of Collusion. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew C. McCarthy. Andy, thanks so much. Let's talk again soon. Thanks, Rich. Have a great weekend. You too. And we will be right back on the Guy Benson Show. Here, it's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of breaking news. Crime surging in America, like I mentioned, going to be a big campaign issue. Wait till you hear what happened in our nation's capital. Don't go away. Guy Benson will be right back. It is the Guy Benson Show on a busy Thursday afternoon. Crime is soaring in America. It really is. And it's insane. 
that we are discussing once again massive shootings in our nation's capital. I'd like to bring in Wyatt for this. Wyatt, of course, is uh, here on the Guy Benson Show, but he's down in D.C. right now in real time as we speak. And, Wyatt, I wanted to ask you, I mean, what just happened in, in our nation's capital and, and, and how often is this happening there? Yeah, Rich. So there's been a lot of shootings lately. Um, yesterday, there there were twelve there were twelve people shot in in five separate shootings, and three people were killed. Um, it's just it's gotten dramatically worse just over the past few months. And I mean, it's really scary because some of this these shootings are happening in in some pretty like you know high traffic areas, some places you wouldn't think there to be shootings happening in the nation's capital, but uh, it's happening every single day. So the, this latest round of shootings, uh, is, it all the, is it all the news down there? Is it what pretty much everybody's talking about? Yeah. I mean, this last one yesterday uh, where two people were killed was just, you know, a few blocks away from the Capitol, a few blocks away from where I live. So it's, it's, it's pretty close to, to, you know, normal areas, not like in, in bad sections where, you know, crime is, is rampant. I mean, it's starting to bleed into the, to the main hubs of the city. What is causing it? What What is happening? And, and obviously what D.C. is experiencing, what New York's experiencing, Chicago, Philadelphia. I mean, it, it seems to be something that's happening in every major city. But being down there and seeing it with your own eyes, why? what do you think is, is really the cause of all this? I don't know. I'm no expert on the issue, but I do know I think a lot of, you know, one issue that was that was really bad during the pandemic was, you know, shootings, of course, is always something that happens here in D.C., but also carjackings were a real problem. And a lot of the crime and a lot of the shootings and a lot of the carjackings were done by younger kids who should be in school but were not and were committing these crimes and continue to. Twelve people shot, five separate shootings. Today alone, three killed. I mean, this is happening in the last 24 hours. Um are people being prosecuted in D.C.? Is that is that because I know in Philadelphia, where I broadcast from, we have a district attorney, Larry Krasner. This guy is a joke. He does not prosecute criminals, especially criminals with illegal guns. He looks at criminals as the victims. It seems to be a mindset that's happening with a lot of these progressive, uh, quote unquote, prosecutors across the country. Is that something people are complaining about in the District of Columbia as well? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are fed up with the mayor here in D.C. Uh, she's more worried about, it seems, you know, vaccination requirements for kids to go to school in, in the coming school year than she is more on what's going on with all this crime and all these shootings. Well, Wyatt, thanks for uh, weighing in on this. I appreciate it. I mean, obviously, you know, this is the kind of thing to happen to two killed, five shot in broad daylight, open air drug market near the U.S. Capitol building. Actually, last question. How do we have open drug markets near the United States Capitol building? How, how does this happen? I don't know. It's bad. I know. It's, 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 it's never ending, it seems. Never ending is right. All right. Well, thank you, Wyatt. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the problem that we're dealing with in America right now. It is absolutely... And he doesn't know, and I don't know, and nobody seems to know, except there does seem to be something in common with all this. And that seems to be woke, progressive prosecutors who just don't charge. And if you're not charging, then you know what happens. The criminals feel like they are absolutely going to get away with it. So there's no deterrent for them to stop. And that is the problem that we're watching, I think, play out across this country right now. They can say it's the gun problem, but it's the criminal problem. And criminals with guns they shouldn't have... 
need to be prosecuted and sent away for a long, long time. This is the Guy Benson Show on a busy Friday. Peter Ducey, the Deuce himself, is going to be here in the next hour to talk about his interactions with Corrine Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary, who still cannot give us actual answers on how this is going to be paid for, how we're going to pay for it. It's the Guy Benson Show on a busy Thursday afternoon. Coming right back. clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show on a busy Thursday afternoon. It's Rich Zioli from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. In for Guy, great to be with you this afternoon. Uh, we got a lot of breaking news all over the place and very excited to talk to Fox News' very own Peter Ducey, of course, Fox News Channel White House correspondent. Uh, hey, Peter, thanks for making time today. I know you are at a Biden campaign event. Is that right? Yes, I am. And, you know, it's funny. Um, it's the first one of these things I've been to where it's indoors. There's a couple thousand people since I covered the, the 2020 campaign before COVID. Um and it's, it's notable that this is the latest kind of event where there's no social distancing, not really any masks, because these White House folks are telling us that uh, COVID is such a national emergency. That's why they're allowed to, uh, legally allowed to cancel the student debt. Right. So whoever at the White House is in charge of the legal arguments for canceling student debt didn't get to the president's event planners, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right, because if they wanted to play with optics, everybody would be masked up in there and uh, back to those little circles they have to sit on six feet away from each other, like in the old days. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, good for you for confronting Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre. I think you do a terrific job. I really do. We, we, we play a lot of your interactions on my radio show, my morning show in Philadelphia, just so you know. Uh, she did not give you a straight answer about who's paying for this yesterday. And you asked her and she gave you the justification of, from their perspective of why philosophically they want to do this. But she never actually answered the question, Peter, of who's paying for this. No. And they talk a lot about how, uh, well, we reduced the deficit by more than a trillion dollars. Okay, that's great. Uh, but that doesn't answer the question of who is paying for this plan. And we know that the most basic answer is taxpayers. But which taxpayers? I've seen one study, I think it was in CNBC, that said that every taxpayer, the, the average burden, if you uh, level it out over everybody that pays, it's like $2,000 a pop to cover the cost of this. And you know, that they're not saying that at the White House. They are just saying, and they're honestly not even really saying that it's paid for, period. With these packages in the past, like the Inflation Reduction Act or the uh, American Rescue Plan, they would say this is paid for. Um, they don't say that this one is paid for. They just kind of say, we can do this. Right. 
Yeah, we, we can do this, uh, even though they don't announce that. And today, Corrine Jean-Pierre, I, I think, and, and you did a great job, again, blowing her up on this point, uh, saying that they don't believe it's going to add to the deficit. They don't believe that, Peter Ducey, but that doesn't mean that it won't. Right. We also, you know, it's the same when you listen to these projections, these economic projections from the White House. They told us uh, inflation was going to be transitory. There wasn't going to be a recession. Uh, and so it, it's just we have to, you know, it's good to hear what they're saying, but just know that uh, the only way to find out is to, to measure it over the next couple months. Now, this event that you're at right now with the president, is this a kickoff to midterms? I'm assuming this is not his presidential kickoff, right? No, it's not a presidential kickoff. There is a, it's a DNC event for basically just to get folks, activists excited about the, the midterm fight ahead. I'm looking at a banner right now that says JoeBiden.com, so that's where they want people, uh, people's dollars uh, flowing through. But, you know, this president doesn't get a ton of uh, invitations these days to go join Democrats that are actually on the ballot in 2022 in their states. And so uh, he's having his own party tonight. And, and it's, it is well attended. Um, there's a couple thousand people here already. Uh, by the way, I wanted to ask you as well, when when you're thinking about the reaction from uh, several congressional Democrats today have come out and said that they don't like this idea of paying down student loan debt. Has Biden addressed that at all, that even within his own party, you've got. Uh, I mean, probably six, maybe more at this point, Republican Democrats who were up for reelection in, in very important swing districts, Ohio, New Hampshire, uh, around the country, Michigan, who were all saying that they don't agree with this. No, the president has not addressed that himself yet. I, I had a chance to ask him a question yesterday. I, I chose to ask him uh, how much advance notice he had that the FBI was going to get a search warrant to go into Mar-a-Lago. And, uh, you know, that sounds like old news, except he hasn't talked about it because he's been on vacation uh, almost every hour since that happened. Uh, and so figured we got to we got to start with those questions at some point when we can. But uh, we'll, we'll get him on the record about this, uh, this division within the party about the student loan cancellation. I know you all, and I'll let you go because I know you got to cover this event, but uh, you also asked Miguel Cardona, the Secretary of Education, about the long-term effects of kids in schools. It seems like there's a lot of reinventing history right now from people who did not want kids going back to school, and now they're all acting like, oh, no, 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 we, we, we never said that. And, you know, Dr. Fauci <laughs> insists uh, there was no long-term harm done by having kids out of school by themselves, learning remotely. And that is the point that uh, I've, I've seen a lot of experts uh, challenging over the last 48 hours, 72 hours since he said it, just because uh, there, there's no way to know right now. But we do know that a lot of students are not at the grade, that they're not uh, educated to the grade level that they're supposed to be. Uh, and then, you know, look at Los Angeles County last week, 50,000 students didn't show up on the first day why is that don't i'm sure there's a variety of reasons but to say that there's no long-term damage from having people out of school i, I don't it seems like it's too soon to know that 
Peter Ducey, always a pleasure. Keep up the great work. Fox News Channel, White House correspondent. We appreciate your time today, Peter. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Rich. Uh, you know, it's important to note that the dodging of the questions and, and you know, obviously Peter's at a at an event, so a little bit hard to hear and, and you know, not the best connection, but I'm glad he was able to make the time for us. I, I think that his his comments yesterday, I mean, his interactions yesterday with Corinne Jean-Pierre are really important. I, I just want to play it one more time. I played it earlier, but I think it's really important to, to hear again. This is uh, cut 18, please. Who is paying for this? What we are saying is the the work that this administration has done, the work that the Democrats in Congress has done, is actually there. And you see that the 1.7 trillion uh, deficit in deficit uh, deduction that you see is is going to benefit us in being able to do something for the middle class, to do something just... for the middle class. But when you forgive... This is about doing something for people who make less than $125,000. $1.7 trillion. That's what we've been able to do. But when you forgive debt, you're not just disappearing debt. So but, who is paying for but, this? And then I'll give you the second part. We lifted the pause, right? We're going to lift the pause uh, at the end of this year, which is going to matter, right? Which is going to offset uh, a lot of what, what we're doing as well. Yeah. Who is paying for this? You don't just write it off. This isn't an episode of Seinfeld here. We're not just writing it off. Very, very good point. Uh, no, no doubt about that with that follow up. Uh, and then uh, another exchange here. We got cut uh, 13, 14. Go ahead. How can the country afford such a massive handout? Look, if you look at what this president has done, uh, if you look at the end of this, this coming end, uh, end of the fiscal year, $1.7 trillion that we have deduced, uh, brought down uh, the deficit. That matters. That matters. And if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, it's going to ha add another $300 billion. It's going to uh, uh, bring down the deficit again. Yeah. Now, as, as far as the interaction with Secretary Cardona, and it's really important that Peter asked him this question. I mean, as a dad, we're all asking the same questions. We're all asking, and we want to understand. We really do. We want to understand how our kids are going to be in school. We also want to understand the uh, authority of the Department of Education. We want to understand how they can do this, how this is fair. And Cardona, you know, yesterday, I think dodging the question right now as Peter followed up and asked him again, what about all the people right now who just paid off their student loans, cut 14? To the fairness question, the people that are sitting at home right. having just paid off their student loans or having paid them off right. years ago, what's in it for them? Right. right. Well, look, when we address some of the issues that could lead to default uh, payments or default borrowers in the future, that affects everyone. We should be proud that we're able to help Americans that need help right now. Yeah, we need help right now. Turning to the implications of this on the 2024 election and the 2022 midterms, and this is what I was asking Peter about this too, you know, these Democrats are now coming out and they're saying no to this. They're saying this is a bad idea, don't do it. Tells you just how this is playing in certain swing districts in the country where you've got a lot of blue-collar voters in particular. But Nancy Pelosi, in her mind, she thinks Republicans should be very, very scared. Now, I have not heard her come out yet and say, hey, 
Joe Biden, I, I already said you can't do this unilaterally. you got to go through Congress. I've not heard her come out and say that since the announcement was made yesterday. Maybe it just uh, is going to happen any moment now. I'm sure any minute now. But she did give Republicans a warning to be afraid, be very, very afraid. And I can tell you this. She does put hearts and fear into the hearts of men and women everywhere worldwide. So if there's one thing Nancy Pelosi knows. It is fear. Cut 20. Republicans should be very, very, very scared this morning about their prospects. I have never believed that we would not hold the House. That's my mission, and that's what I hope to accomplish, and I have a plan to do it under the leadership of Sean Patrick Maloney. He had a big victory himself last night. He's our chair. But but this one, they expected to win, and uh, they outspent us, but we outorganized them. And that's what we are. We don't agonize. We organize. We don't agonize. We organize. Gotcha. And Elizabeth Warren thinks, oh, this is all going to go great for Democrats in the midterms. Well, if that's the case, then how come so many Democrats are, are coming out publicly and saying, no, we don't want this. Cut 21. But the reality is, at the end of the day, we're going to have elections in which it comes down to two people. One is a Democrat and the Democrats can say, this is what I've fought for, and this is what I've accomplished. The Republicans can say what they've been saying for the last year and a half. No. What's their plan on student loan debt? No. What's their plan on the price of insulin? No. What's their plan on carbon emissions in this nation and around the world? No. What's their plan on making yeah. big corporations pay a fair share? No. So, you know, I feel pretty good about yeah. how those contests are going to come out. You know, hey, Dan, as a guy who just finished paying his student loans during the pandemic when you didn't have to, how do you feel today about all this? I don't know. I'm a little conflicted. I feel like paying them through. Um, I, I just wanted to get it over with. So I wanted to pay them through and get them as done, get them done as quick as possible. Um, but I don't I don't I don't feel, I wasn't asking for this. I feel comfortable paying them off when I get them done. Um, but I don't feel like the taxpayer should have to pay for the rest of my loans. Is that because you're a responsible adult? I try to be. <laughs> I do. I do my absolute best. So, yeah. Is that the answer? Um, all right. We got a lot more to come. California is banning uh, gas powered automobiles. That's right. Making them illegal. Straight ahead. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson show. It's happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here today. We appreciate it. Two crazy car stories for you. Number one, California's banning gas-powered vehicles by the year 2035, which is insane. But California's nuts. It really is. If you live there, my heart goes out to you. It does. It's a beautiful state, but boy, is it run by nuts. The second thing is the theft of catalytic converters has become so incredibly uh, ongoing and pervasive around the country that you know that police in Boulder, Colorado, are providing drivers with something that they hope will actually help them, an anti-catalytic converter theft kit. That's right, an anti-catalytic converter theft kit. And here's what it's going to contain. Drivers will receive etching decals that will mark their catalytic converter with a unique fingerprint that can be tracked. Decals warn the thieves that your car is protected because it's it's so bad out there and people are, are I mean, they're causing massive, massive damage. 
into people's automobiles by going after these catalytic converters. And it's soaring what's happening in the country right now. Uh, in fact, there, there's even a story where they had a catalytic converter theft ring that's been happening. And car part theft of this is a now an epidemic, an epidemic. It's up now, ready? 1,215% from 2019, according to the National Insurance Crime Bureau. And Toyota, Subaru, and Honda owners, beware. Your car is the one they want the most. If you drive a Toyota Prius, Subaru Forester, or Honda Element, auto experts are advising you, keep an extra eye on the catalytic converter, which you can't see because it's not in your car, despite Christine going to look for it in the car. Joe's expert auto owner, this guy Joe Betancourt, was on with Fox News Business on Thursday. He said, we will finish three vehicles and then five more will show up. It's just scary right now. More than 52,000 catalytic converters were stolen in 2021, soaring 1,215% over 2019. Now, the car part's primary function is to convert environmentally harmful gases from the engine to less harmful gases. Lower emission cars like the Toyota Priuses, Subaru Foresters, and Honda Elements are primarily targeted due to higher concentrations of valuable metals inside the converters. Like the Subaru Forester, they, they call it a, a PZEV, a partial zero uh, emissions vehicle because of their, their, their high catalytic converters with these, with these metals inside them. So for vehicle models that have dual catalytic converters like a Jeep Liberty, crooks can earn double the pay and you're going to be left with a $4,000 repair. Now, it might be covered by insurance, but then you got your deductible. There are three precious, precious metals in them. One of them, rhodium, it's, it's almost at $14,000 an ounce. There's usually anywhere from three to seven grams loaded in these vehicles, so do the math. I'm no math guy, but that's a lot. That's a lot right there. The Chicago Police Department actually proposed that car owners should paint their catalytic converters a bright color to more easily identify and retrieve the stolen part. Nobody's getting the stolen part. Sadly, sad to say it, but nobody is. I mean, it's going to be gone. I don't see how it's going to stop anyone, the guy argued, but that's just me. I may be wrong. No, he's not wrong, the owner of that uh, repair shop. Now, he's a big advocate of installing catalytic converter shields that use safety screws to slow down crooks' theft time. It slows him down, he says. They've got three minutes to do a car. They don't want to spend 15 to 20 minutes doing a car, and then, you know, so they just move on to the next car. But then again, if it's at night or something like that, the thieves probably have all the time that they need in certain places. So, yeah, this is uh, Joe Biden's America right now. Catalytic converter thefts soaring up over 1,200 percent since 2019. Is nothing sacred anymore? Nothing, I ask you? All right, coming up, um, got a lot more to get to before the show's over today, including one of my gigantic pet peeves. All things pumpkin. This is the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy today. Busy news day again. Breaking news. The judge in the Mar-a-Lago affidavit ruling today. The affidavit will be unsealed tomorrow at noon. So much more to come. Don't go away. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. 
All right, welcome back to the Guy Benson Show on this Thursday afternoon. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you from WPHD in Philadelphia. Always great to be with you. Earlier today, I had a chance to chat with Representative Nancy Mace from South Carolina. Talk to her about her thoughts on the Biden student loan bribery plan. Let's take a listen to that. Here we go. Have you heard a lot of uh, from your constituents in South Carolina? Well, blue-collar workers, certainly, who didn't have an opportunity to go to college. And I, I, I was talking to some folks this morning and my AC guy went to high school with him with good friends. He works really hard to provide for his family, works two jobs, didn't have an opportunity to go to college. And that guy would essentially in theory be paying for my kids to go to school. And that doesn't make any sense in this world. And I guess Joe Biden is trying to buy votes with this particular scheme. But even Nancy Pelosi said just last year that would literally take an act of Congress to do this or this more than likely will just be fought in the courts, maybe even up to the Supreme Court. He doesn't have the power to actually do this. You don't think he does? No, I don't. I don't either, because it seems contract. like you know, they're using. It's the law, right? Yeah. It's Sorry, contract. Congresswoman, go ahead. Yeah. No, this is a contract, right? Loans are contracts. The president doesn't have the ability to intervene with those things, in my opinion. I agree with you. And uh, I, I think that, you know, them justifying this using 9-11 powers and then saying because COVID, are, are we still in a COVID emergency or not? Because when it came to Title 42, the same administration just three months ago said there was no COVID emergency anymore. Right. And the CDC has also moved the, the goalposts, too. And pretty much if you have COVID, you know, stay home for a few days. If you get exposed to it, no one really cares anymore. Um, they're following <laughs> medical science rather than political science these days, it seems. Yeah, nobody's had to pay their student loans literally since March of 2020. So if, if even if you make the argument COVID has hurt people, how can you argue it's hurt people with student loans? They have not had to pay them, and the president just extended them again till the end of the year. Right. And if you do want to truly help people not just have a political stunt with student loan paybacks, maybe let them write the interest off that debt or write off their payments when they're doing their taxes 100 percent. Right. Um, there are other legal constitutional means to help people rather than do a stunt, which is going to garner headlines for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks and maybe earn a few votes in November, but is not constitutionally or legally sound, in my opinion. Congresswoman Nancy Mace is with me. How do you think the midterm elections are looking right now? Do you think that after Tuesday's special elections, there's cause for Republicans to be a little bit nervous or how do you what do you think? I think there's pause over over the course of this summer. A number of things have happened, and it's put us on our heels a little bit. And I've been really vocal on some of those things. And I'm a I'm a pro-life mom uh, and, and woman, but also I want to make sure that we're not listening to the extremes on either side of the argument right now. I've, I'm home to a state where, you know, they want to ban all, all of the exceptions nearly. And I was raped when I was 16. I'm very vocal about those issues. And I think that as Republicans, when we have fumbled the ball in the past has been when we've been solely pointing out problems and not providing solutions. And I think that looking at where we want to go for our nation's future and each of the districts that we all represent in our states of record is that we really want to be and should be solution focused on even the touchiest of issues for Republicans, because we know that the mainstream media are always going to be against us. We saw what they did to the previous administration and still are going after the former president in every way that they can, but also they go after conservatives. And so I'm going to be very solution driven going into the, the midterm cycle, I represent a swing district, very much purple is probably putting it uh, nicely in my district. Um, but we need to be focused on, on the future of our country, bringing people together, 
but what solutions can we offer to the American people on every issue, even the touchiest and most sensitive ones? It seems like the Democrats drive the the debate so often. It seems like, especially when it comes to, for example, you know, since they overturned Roe v. Wade, the Democrats drive the conversation. Do you think Republicans have to just keep working to get it back to the economy? I think we have to work twice as hard to be seen as equal because literally everybody is against us, whether we're talking about mainstream media trying to set up conservatives with gotcha interviews um, to social media. We don't have an edge there. And I think in part it's because all of those systems are working against us. And so in my opinion, I just say, well, you know what? Heck, I got to work twice as hard this time than last time. And that's the attitude I think all of us should have today. I wanted to uh, bring up uh, Dr. Fauci with you because I, I this morning I was actually I was talking to Jared Kushner with about his new book and he mentioned that you know Fauci's out there flip flopping all over the place and Fauci's trying to argue that he never supported lockdowns and Jared said no listen absolutely in the White House he was pushing for lockdowns no question about it uh, I I think Fauci needs to be investigated here not only for gain of function research but really his role in in so many of these decisions that I think were disastrous for our nation. Well, Dr. Fauci should be saving his emails. <laughs> I mean, we do need to investigate him. And, and when Republicans are in the majority in the House, it will be part of the role of the Oversight Committee under Jamie Comer's leadership, because he'll be chairman, to investigate these things. He has flip-flopped. He told us at the beginning of COVID-19 that masks didn't work. Don't buy them. Come to find out. They said, well, they are effective. And they, he was doing that to mislead the American people. And he's misled the American people on so much related to COVID-19. And it was even under under Dr. Fauci's leadership, we found out last fall in November about all of the beagle puppy testing that they're doing on animals. And even in my backyard, in my district off the coast of South Carolina, we, you know, we learned about uh, rhesus monkey testing that he's doing that NIH has not been forthcoming and sometimes denied. And he has a lot of questions that we need to have answered. And I fully expect us under Comer's leadership to investigate the CDC and Dr. Fauci and NIH when we get to be in the majority next year. No, the puppy thing just sounds gross. Oh, it's awful. I mean, they spent millions of dollars uh, torturing these puppies, cutting out their vocal cords and drug testing them before they killed them. And it's gruesome. It's barbaric. It's disgusting. And it's an issue. I do a lot of animal rights work, but it's an issue that I've been able to bring the far right and the far left together on because we all care about all of God's creatures. And uh, it's disgusting. Some of what we uncovered in the fall, the FOIAs, uh, what NIH has been doing. All right. That was my interview with Nancy Mace here on the happy hour for the Guy Benson Show. If you want the full interview and all the interviews, of course, go to GuyBensonShow.com where you can get the podcast and you should do that, of course, every single day. We got the home stretch coming up. Who's ready for some pumpkin? Not this guy. I know that. We'll be right back. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. All right, welcome back to the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. It is our home stretch. And you know, it's August. Today is August 25th. It's a Thursday afternoon. And I can tell you one thing, and that is this. It is way too soon for pumpkin. Pumpkin anything. I don't care what it is. Pumpkin anything. I don't want to see a pumpkin until at least after Labor Day. And I went to the store the other day, and I'm tired of the fact that I'm already seeing Halloween decorations. What's going on here? 
Oh, and Cracker Barrel's unveiling their new menu, and it actually looks pretty good, I have to tell you. I mean, some of the stuff on here looks delicious. That's because they don't have anything pumpkin involved. That's the reason why it looks delicious. Now, I know Christine's going to disagree with me on this because I'm told, and maybe Dan and Wyatt can back me up on this, that she's a pumpkin freak. Is that is that a fair way to put it? A pumpkin freak? I mean... I, I wouldn't say freak, but I would say a, a lover of pumpkin spice everything. And I'm not really sure where the anger is coming from, Rich. Well, my anger is directed at the following. Nobody should be doing pumpkin anything until at least after Labor Day. That's my anger right there. Now I've got it out. I feel better. Well, uh, but who are you the decider of no, the, when I, pumpkins no. arrive? I, I know for a fact on this show right now, it's a three-to-one majority saying that we should not have pumpkin. Wyatt, Dan, back me up here. Am I right? Absolutely. Oh, I completely God. agree. I mean, after Labor Day, it is. My, my girlfriend just ordered uh, Halloween things. I'm like, it's way too early. She's like, when can I put them up? I'm like, I don't know, mid-September, early October? I don't know. Yeah. How about October 1st? How about a national law that says that? No, 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 no. So I've talked about this with Guy Benson and he's probably agrees with you. But um, I believe a holiday, you know, your decor, uh, I will probably put all my fall decor up starting the Tuesday after Labor Day. Oh, your and fall the decor. Day... <laughs> Sorry, I was making fun of your Jersey yes. accent. Oh, <laughs> you're from Jersey, too, you know. Um, but then... <laughs> The day after Halloween starts Christmas, like I would really, I could even probably put up my tree if my husband let me on November 1st. But I, so I believe like right after your holiday is over, then you go on to the next holiday so you can enjoy, you know, time with your, as I guess I call it decor. Um, But talking about pumpkin spice is something totally different. It's the flavor that I actually love. And I don't understand, like there are some people out there that are like big haters. And for some reason, anything with pumpkin spice is a problem. Uh, there, I've, I've tried it all this year. I'm wondering if I can get picked for it, but there is a company that's willing to pay you up to a thousand dollars to try everything pumpkin from Trader Joe's. And a thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. You be, you're going to be called a pumpkin expert and you have to taste test their whole fall menu. So I would like to already put my name in the hat for that. Um, I would like to talk to you also about the fact, cause you have young children. Have you ever taken them to build a bear? Uh, no, we've not gone to build a bear, but what does that have to do with pumpkins? So they just released a scented pumpkin spice bear for the Ew. fall. So Ew. what do you mean? I'd no, rather no, smell no. like bear droppings than pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this is this is so cute. I'm wonder Megan's turning 10 in April. I'm wondering if I can get her. I think she'll still do this with me and I'm ready to go get I, I think I might even bring it into work. I think we're gonna do this maybe over the weekend. And the big one, the huge one, the one yes. that everybody is waiting for is the PSL. Do you know what that is? I do not. The pumpkin spice latte. Okay. From all right. Now, first of all, I know for a fact it's already out because you tried to get one today, didn't you? So I did try to get one. I thought it was out too. I stand corrected. I was wrong. And what happened was I was taking a walk this morning. So I put my credit card in my uh, workout pants and I was taking a really long walk. So probably like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And at the end of the walk was going to, I was going to walk to Starbucks and get a pumpkin spice latte. 
I got to Starbucks and I realized my credit card wasn't in my um, pocket anymore. I had you lost see? it. So I wonder if it was a sign from, you know, above saying, no, they're not ready for you yet, cookie. Uh, they will be out the PSLs. <laughs> They're not ready for you, you yet, Cookie, because even they know it's too early for, for pumpkin lattes. So uh, it will be out August 30th. And, Wyatt, um, Wyatt talk to me here, man. Talk, you, you represent a voice of a new generation. Pumpkin Spice, please back me up here. Yeah, Rich, I'm definitely on your side on this. I think that it's way too early. I also don't even like pumpkin, like anything, pumpkin pie, pumpkin. I'm not a pumpkin fan as it is. But it is just way too early to be talking about anything pumpkin spice, you know, in August. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And can we all agree that we should respect the holiday zone, meaning that we're still in summer. We should be respecting summer and uh, we should not be mingling Halloween with beach chairs. Absolutely. If I could still go to the beach right now, I should not have to worry about what I'm going to wear to a Halloween party if I have to go to one. Thank you. Thank you. That's the test. Christine, that's the test right there. I already have my costume for Halloween. So you probably already have your Christmas tree up. Who are you kidding? Uh, I well, the problem is all of my Christmas decor is at my mother's because remember we sold our house back in April, so now we're in an apartment, so we couldn't fit it all here. But I'm trying to figure out when I can go and get all of that and where I would put it, and if my husband will let me put up the tree. You know, I had an idea, and let me run this by you, okay? Let me paint you a okay. little picture. Okay, go ahead. What about if we leave our Christmas tree up all year round and then, like, I decorate it for each holiday? You decorate what for each holiday? Wouldn't that be adorable? Like, I decorate the tree. Like, I put, like, fall bows and, like, you know, like, ornaments, like, pumpkin ornaments, you know, for the fall. And then, like, turkey stuff. And then, like, a Valentine's. Like, but keep the tree up year round. Wouldn't Does anybody think this is a good cool? idea? Because I think this is a terrible idea and probably a fire hazard. I, I'm just saying, like, I'm putting it out there. I don't see people doing this, but I think I'm going to. I, okay. I, I think I might try it if, if my husband will let me. But I'm done. I'm never going to convince any of you, but I'm just letting you know one thing. I'm going to the beach tomorrow. Sorry, taking off again. And I will be finding somewhere that has some sort of pumpkin spice latte coffee for me. And I will take a picture as I'm sitting on the beach with it. Okay. The end. Uh, the end. All right, fine. And you know what? You know what sharks love? Pumpkins. And so I think you might be making yourself vulnerable. <laughs> I'm just throwing you it out there. Don't say that. Well, it's what true, is, Christine. Like, and we're all trying to save your life. Are we not, boys? Come on. Exactly. Thank you. I don't want... I don't want to get bit by a shark. So don't say, don't jinx it. Okay. There's a lot of shark attacks and a lot of shark sightings in Jersey and Long Island this summer. So please don't jinx that. Now you got me worried. Thanks. Would you, would you eat this though? A cracker barrel. They have a peach infused peach mimosa and Jack Daniels country cocktail, Southern peach. See, that sounds great. And in season to me, I like it. I mean, you just had to say mimosa to me and I was in. So (laughs) sure. (laughs) I said the sweet words to you and you loved it. You didn't have to even bring up any rest. Sure. Now, Rich, I now, Rich, I got a question for you. Will you go with pumpkin beer, pumpkin flavored beer at all? Mm, Dan, you know, I'm Ooh. glad you brought that up because you are a beer connoisseur. And I talked to Christine yesterday about the next time I'm in studio with you guys. I'm definitely bringing wine. I meant to bring it today and I forgot. So I'm going to bring some of my homemade wine because I think I can turn you. But since you are a beer guy, I think you know where I'm going with this. Pumpkin does not belong in a beer. Absolutely agree. I, I don't like it. I, try, I mean, I've tried it. 
tried it and tried it, different brands and all that. I don't like it at all across the board. The best is when Bill Burr hosted Saturday Night Live a while ago, and he was doing a the Sam Adams Jack o Pumpkin Ale tasting. <laughs> yeah. And did you see that skit? <laughs> yeah, I did. And he just spits it out and goes, "What the blank is this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I'm more of a you know a Miller Lite guy, or you know I'll do an IPA here and there, but I do like my wine, so I'll try your wine for sure. Here's how you know that what pumpkin about- beer is, is a joke, a fugazi, as my people say, because you're never going to go to an Eagles game and see people in the stands drinking pumpkin beer. That's how you know it's fake. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure that's how you get, like, you know, hit in the face or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Oh, my God. But what if, what, Rich, just hear me yeah. out. What if you're hosting a fall fest party like I do? Mm-hmm. Then can you could have pumpkin um, beer there. No, no, you can't because it's not real beer. And let me, you probably like pumpkin wine, don't you? That's the new thing. Well, I was just wondering, is that like a thing? And if so, I'm definitely oh. going to try. What about what Sa- about we sadly, take it's your a thing. homemade? What if we take your homemade wine and make like a pumpkin sangria out of it? Yeah, we're not doing that. Pumpkin Ooh. spice mold wine. We're not doing that. Ooh. What a mess. What a mess. And by the way, just think about it. If you have pumpkin candles in your house, get out. I mean, of course, <laughs> is that even a question? It's like asking me if I drink wine. Yeah, I, I see you didn't ask me about that. No, because um, I know the answer to this already. <laughs> of course, I have pumpkin candles. I, 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 like I said, this is over. I think I obviously won the debate. <laughs> and um, I will send you a picture tomorrow on the beach with pumpkin everything. Well, here on this happy hour, I'll wish you a happy hour. Uh, enjoy your beverage tomorrow, this weekend, as long as it's pumpkin nothing. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad to, to, to know that long drink doesn't make a pumpkin flavor. I just checked. So we're – guys, okay. <gasps> I just checked. Yeah. And don't give them, them any idea, it. all right? Don't give them any idea. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for letting me fill in. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed the last couple days. That's for sure. And uh, can't wait till I'm back with you guys again here on the Guy Benson Show. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Christine, Dan, Wyatt, thanks, guys. It's been a blast. Uh, Teaching Christine about catalytic converters today was also just a a real hoot. I know it didn't make the air, but just know that this. Christine now knows what a catalytic converter is as she enjoys her pumpkin wine. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy the weekend. And we'll talk to you soon here on the Guy Benson Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.